once you can clearly define the pathway where farmers can say, yes, I can understand the direction that we're going. This is going to be good for the environment. But it's also going to be good for my own pocket and my own individual farm profitability. Then at that stage, you know, it makes common sense. Hello, I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. You're Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 53, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to prove farm sustainability. We would love to hear from you and get your opinions on what's discussed on the show. In order to contact us, you can email the Environment Edge podcast at chagas.ie. Please feel free to ask questions or even make suggestions on topics you might like to hear discussed on the show. The grass and crop season is starting to ramp up now as weather improves and that comes with the use of sprays to control weeds, fungi and pests in order to protect our crops. How well are we doing in Ireland in regards to reducing the impact on water quality? Paul O'Brien, Chair of the IFA Environmental and Rural Affairs Committee, joins us to discuss his role with the National Pesticide and Drinking Water Action Group. So, Paul, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Deidre. So, Paul, you're on the National Pesticide and Drinking Water Action Group. Can you tell us a little bit about this group and what what they're all about? Probably about 2016-17, this you know, this pesticides working group was set up and um, the reason was because, pest, you know, pesticides were showing up in drinking water. So the whole of the industry, you know, starting from the Department of Agriculture, other people included would be the Animal and Health so Federation of Agricultural um, Agrochemical Retail Merchants, HSE, the Irish Farmers Association, the ICMSA, Irish Water, the local authorities, um, the National Federation of Group Water Schemes, even Chagas. And, um, you know, so we all meet. We meet probably three or four times a year, Deirdre, to, to kind of go through what's happening, to give us a kind of a true picture of maybe the exceedances levels that have happened in the previous accounting period. And, um, you know, it gives us a good kind of understanding of the trends that are happening and, Maybe individual catchments that are coming under, I suppose, considerable pressure or, or constantly being, you know, exceeding. And then there could be more of a, a bigger issue that, you know, needs to be looked into. Pesticides, it's a huge term as well, isn't it, Paul? Like it encompasses, say, herbicides, fungicides, algicides, rodenticides, nematodicides, and even more. So it encompasses a huge variety of different products. It does indeed. And I think the, um, you know, the careful of them, I suppose, to have the most worry about the injuries is that it's the MCPAs and the Roundups, the glyphosate that seem to be the knowing. Um, and obviously, a lot of that is seasonal. Um, so if you're spraying off a field with Roundup to maybe establish a new grass crop, um, you know, at certain times of the year, and MCPA would be the same, like particularly if you're trying to destroy maybe rushes on a kind of a, on a field where there would be probably a traditionally high water table anyway, where water levels would be high. Um, this is where the recurring theme is, is that unfortunately, yes, all pesticides can be accept, you know, can be traced and their, their exceedance levels can be picked up. But it really is the, the two recurring ones, the glyphosate and the MCPA, that are the most concerns. So, Paul, look, I suppose 
if we didn't have an issue in Ireland, you, the, the committee that you sit on wouldn't be working, I suppose. So there is certain exceedances in for herbicides in our water. And I know the, the bar is quite high for uh, detecting pesticides in our water, but how is Ireland actually doing? Well, I think, you know, the reason why this was set up in the first place, because there did seem to be a problem. And the problem, if you don't face the problem, the problem could escalate and go out of control. However, you know, when we did meet at the very, very start, and as I said, this was the previous environmental chair of the IFA, met, met them before I joined the committee even. So 2017, there was a problem. What we are now seeing is clearly that, yes, things are improving. And I'll just give you some figures. In, in 2022, um, we had 40 exceedances. Bringing that back to 2020, there was 81 exceedances. So we we are improving, and there are, and we're improving probably for a number of reasons, Carl. Um, obviously, you know, all farmers who are spraying have to be trained. So you have to go through the professional users of pesticides. So you have to do your couple of days training. Um, you have to make sure that your sprayer is, um, you know, obviously calibrated and is and is working properly so not only that but i think the bigger picture here carl is is that we just need to make sure that when we are spraying we're doing it correctly we're waiting for the weather conditions to allow us to do that we're using enough buffer zones between any water courses and um, any potential spray drift um so it's just a lot of this is very very common sense but thankfully we are improving, but that's not to say we can't improve a bit more. Yeah, the World Health Organization seems to have um, a level of tolerable li- limits, whereas the EU have taken a zero tolerance attitude um, towards pesticides. And I suppose with that in mind, um, what do you think are the options within the new amendment of the SUD um, directive, Paul? It is always the European ambition to have the highest bar environmentally throughout the world and um, you know we see that with many many other different parts of the particularly the farm to fork aspect of the green deal Deirdre. Um, you know the use of so referring back to maybe the sustainable use directive where they're looking for a considerable drop in actually pesticide you going forward um, I think the problem is, is that there has to be a level of common sense because we do live in a ten, you know our climate is wet we you know we need the ability to be able to use pesticides on our tillage crops we do live in what, what would be classed as very much a um a moist climate um, a, you know a, a damp climate so therefore you know we have to be able to use these pesticides but it's using them correctly it's using them at the right time um and it's using them when weather conditions allow us to use them so when there's no wind um and, you know, as I say, it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever from a farmer's point of view to be spraying the ditch when you're meant to be spraying the field, to be spraying the dike when you're meant to be spraying the field. This is a loss of money. It's a loss. It's, it's pure common sense, basic financials. And I'll say the same about fertilizer usage too. If you're using a product that's expensive, Use it correctly, because ultimately, if you're losing it, you're losing money. 
and you're harming the environment. So a lot of pressure then comes on agriculture. What are you doing? You know, what, you know, you need to strengthen our green credentials. The society is not going to allow us to damage or harm the environment anymore, Deirdre. So, you know, we have to understand all of that. But when it comes from a European policy direction, we have to be very aware that, you know, we are now dealing with a, I suppose, a different mindset in Europe. Some people call it an ideology. Some people say, you know, okay, there's a, there's a passion to deliver proper, um, you know, green credentials. But somewhere there always has to be a middle. We need to use pesticides. We need food production. And as a result of all of that, I've been absolutely asking farmers, just when you're using pesticides or herbicides or insecticides or, or any of the chemicals that you use, just use them with common sense, with your eyes very wide open to the potential harm you could be creating. Because ultimately, if we keep losing Roundup to groundwater, if it is showing up in exceedances levels in, 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 in drinking points, then at that stage, it puts more pressure on us as an industry to be able to retain the benefits of using glyphosate going forward. I suppose that's why there's a huge emphasis now on IPM and resistant breeding and other agronomic characteristics, isn't there, going forward, you know? I suppose when it comes to IPM, yes, you know, like we are on this journey, like, you know, we have to trust that the guys in Oak Park who are doing the research for us are doing a good job and I have every faith in their ability to do that, Deirdre. But um, I, I think the thing is, is that, yes, you know, you once you can clearly define a pathway where farmers can, you know, say, yes, I can understand the direction that we're going. This is going to be good for the environment. But it's also going to be good for my own pocket and my own individual farm profitability. Then at that stage, you know, it makes common sense. But yes, new technologies, I'm sure, are going to be created. Um, you know, but now the bar is getting higher. We have to just to be smart with when we're using chemicals. And I hope this is going to be the, the message of the day. Paul, I think you've just nailed it there. Um, we, we have the answers. We have the solutions to how to reduce the pesticides getting into our water. And I suppose... I think you've touched on it very heavily today. It's about the knowledge transfer and trying to, I suppose, support farmers and educate farmers and take those simple steps. And that will probably be a lot of the solution for us if we can get every farmer to, to jump on board on that. I think, Carl, you know, like farming is, it's, it's all about kind of windows of opportunity. You know, here we are today in a very, after a very wet March where not much field activity has happened, particularly on tillage fields. Not as much slurry has probably been spread, not as much fertiliser has been spread. So when the opportunity arises, you will see every tractor in the country up very, very busy. But it's all about limited opportunities. So the window of opportunity to go out and use that has to be maximised, but it also has to be done without taking too many shortcuts. So, so you know, when you see something going wrong, it's because a farmer is probably under too much pressure. He's probably trying to get too much work done in one particular day. He's always looking over the shoulder to see, you know, what the weather forecast is coming the next day. Or he's, he's always very focused on the fact that 
you know, this is my small window of opportunity. And, and so there is a lot of pressure on farmers that way. And look at as I suppose, as less and less people are involved and as, as farms become maybe more single-handedly run and as we're depending on contractors more and more, you know, there is pressure in the system. But look, I'd be just saying, look, don't take shortcuts. Try your very, very best to do as a professional job as you possibly can. So, you know, maybe that is the message today. You know, everything's expensive. The diesel in the tractor is expensive. The, the chemical you're using is expensive. Just use that to, to be able to come along and bit of common sense. Always check the weather forecast. Always make sure you're adhering to buffer zones. It's because ultimately the pressure is on us to be able to retain the licenses for some of these chemicals. If they keep showing up in exceedances levels in water quality, um, then that's going to put pressure on whether these licenses will be renewed going forward. And that's always my big concern. We're very heavily dependent on glyphosate. Yeah, I, I think for a long time, Paul, that a lot of farmers uh, just didn't realise that such a small amount of chemical can actually um, be detected in water and, and control the whole thing out. And now I think that understanding is starting to come in. And I suppose it's it's great to see groups like yourselves and even self and Georgia working in the area where we're trying to reinforce efforts. And you, I think your group, the, the NPD WIG group, put out a lovely video with one of our advisors, Mary Roach, actually, uh, about a couple of years ago on just those general practices that you've mentioned. And it's a lot of farmers have commented back to me uh, that how beneficial that type of communication is. I think, Carl, you can never have enough knowledge. Um, and that's why, look, you did mention knowledge transfer. And I think, look, it's always should be the maybe the very, very first part of the meeting or most certainly maybe the take-home message from that meeting. You know, look, when you're doing things, try to do them as best as you possibly can at a professional level. If everyone does everything by the book, we should have never have a problem. Um, and look, I agree, you know, farmers with smartphones now, they, they watch plenty of videos and they see this. So, you know, it's probably no harm every so often to, to for a farmer to refresh their memory, to go back and look at some of these old videos and maybe say to themselves, okay, yes, you know, when I was out spraying this morning, did I do this? A lot of this is very much common sense, but most certainly, you know, we have a duty, we have an obligation. We seem to be attacking the media for all we're doing wrong. We need to be looked upon and say, okay, then every individual farmer has the ability to maybe change someone's opinion of farming that day and improve it in a very, in a better and a more positive light. So as we've seen exigences here um, in Kilkenny over the years and perhaps in Wexford as well. And, you know, it's what you do then thereafter to try and prevent it happening again, like your your Chagask events, your discussion groups, your meetings, your one-on-one -on -one consultations, trying to get the message out there, you know, that, you know, it's not acceptable. Um, I suppose another area that, you know, could cause a, a particular issue as well, and there's less training, um, you know, is the whole area of amenity and recreational um, and domestic use of, of pesticides, isn't it, there, Paul? I think that's one of the, the, the big things that we would say that probably was unfair over the last number of years, Deirdre, because, you know, farmers have had to come along and put money into their suppliers. They've had to come along and, you know, do a two- or three-day course in order to become efficient at being able to use 
um, you know, display you and, and, and to really get a good understanding of what happens if you change even decent different nozzles. But I think, you know, one of the ones that was always there was that any individual person could just walk into a hardware store and buy any amount of or, or round or glyphosate. That's slightly now changed because a lot of the products that do appear in these hardware stores or garden centers have become a little bit more watered down. But up until recently, you could walk into any hardware store and buy any amount of glyphosate you wanted. There was no asking who you were, where you were going to be using that. Um, there was no kind of anybody. And you used to drive around the country, and, you, and, and it will happen again this summer. There's, there's no doubt that you'll see places where the whole kind of pathway is absolutely red with being used with glyphosate. Now, the problem is, is that once you use something in exceedance, it will eventually, if it's not being used and utilised, it's a waste. But what will happen is, is that that will be washed away by the next rainfall event, and that will appear. The two biggest incidences that I can recall in my time at the National um, Pesticide Drinking Water Action Group are, and I'm not going to name the counties, but one of them was a um, one of them was a GAA um, ditch where obviously spread too near a watercourse and exceedances were, were detected. And another one was on a building site where there was a school being built. And, um, you know, so it's not only farmers. Farmers have a role to play, yes. But it's everybody who is using pesticides. They have to realise of the potential damage. And I think, look, um, Carl mentioned about the exceedances levels, yes. It only takes one drop of MCPA to, in, to do as much damage as one drop has the ability to be detected in an Olympic cycle room. You know, we have to, you know, that's really where we need to be concentrating. That, yes, everybody has a duty of care. Everybody has the ability to, to probably do a little bit of, um, you know, just be a little bit more smarter even if it's just your knapsack, just to just be careful. I suppose the other point is farming. The farming sector is heavily regulated, whereas maybe the amenity use is not as heavily regulated. And that's something that, in all honesty, we have we have looked for um, the farming groups. Is that so? If anybody walks into a hardware store or, or, or you know, like so, there needs to be some sort of a. A, a register, something to be able to link back to say, okay, then look, you know, we're trained, we're paid to be trained to, you know, study the, read, read the, the, I suppose the recipe or, or read the kind of the prescription to know exactly how much water we should be mixing in. But before that, I would say there was heavy, heavy concentration of product actually physically going out on, um, you know, for people who weren't trained. So we're looking for a little bit maybe of fairness. A lot of things have been pointed to it must automatically be assumed it's agriculture. But those two incidences, that's that GA and that building site, they want agriculture, but still they still fall into the kind of the pesticide exceedance levels because they're using a product that would be predominantly used by agriculture. There's no doubt about that, Deirdre. But the reality is, is that there are other people that are able to get their hands on it. And if they're not using it efficiently enough, then 
it can has the potential to cause damage. So we, we have a lot of legal requirements coming down the line, Paul, that we're going to have a big pesticide cut anyway over the next number of years. Um, how And you mentioned integrated pest management and maybe the, the use of different options uh, apart from a chemical. How close are we to that, do you think? Are farmers interested in going down that route? Well, I think farmers will be interested to go on that route if it's clearly explained to them. You know, if, if, if they can see that there's going to be no potential loss of yields, then yes, I think it can be very, very clearly explained and you know, that's all a part of the whole, as I say, you know, the guys in Jargoscope to give good advice in KT meetings or in in, in in meetings with farmers and particularly, and then also one-to-one. But you see, I think the whole point is, is that, uh, yes, we are all coming under pressure under the sustainable use directive. But the reality is, is that Ireland is a more, you know, its climate means that we do need the ability to be able to, to spray certain times of the year. Now, our level of spraying is dramatically down on our rest of the colleagues in Europe, our other European farmers. So it shouldn't be just a target. Ireland's target is X, so therefore if you reduce that by 50%, maybe the understanding should be Europe's target is X amount, we reduce that by 50%. Other countries might have to do more than Ireland, but most certainly when it comes to us compatible spraying with other European countries, we are a very low spraying. We we don't spray a lot of our grassland in fairness, but we do need the ability for our tillage farms to be able to grow. Paul, there's been mention of um, sensitive land types within these changes. Um, like you'd expect maybe NHA or SAC lands to be falling under this remit. But is there a mention of nitrate vulnerable zones falling in the, within these zones? Well, I haven't heard that, Deirdre. I would have concerns about that um, because, look, I can understand if a land has been designated um, as a high nature value or, you know, SAC, you know, that co- that covers a lot of ground in the country. We are looking at things such as the nature restoration law, which is coming down the line in the next couple of months. So that looks like a much higher level of ambition, not only by um, the EU, but also our own government to say, okay, then X amount of lands will have to be reinstated or restored. So therefore, then at that stage, you are saying a considerable amount of land, up to 7%, of the local land in the country will just go on to nature restoration. So if you're looking at those figures, it is going to be very, very challenging. And we also have to concern about you know whether we're going to have enough food to be able to reduce on one thing or another. Um, there are biodiversity targets that we have to achieve. But the reality is, is that, yes, I can see that those areas are going to come under considerable pressure. When it comes to nitrogen um, zones, I think that still has to be argued and debated. But most certainly, I would suggest it's it's, it's the type of farm land because of its soil type, um, particularly your kind of heavier peatier type soil where you have much higher water table. Um, That's that's probably going to be the area of the most spotlight at the the very, very start. And there's no doubt about it. Look, the reality is, is that you have a high water table, you have probably rushes growing, 
you only get a very limited opportunity at certain times of year to be able to go and refurb, you know, appliances or, you know, sprayers or weed lickers on quad bikes to be able to do that sort of work to carry out. Um, and so, so it is, it is going to be very much land type specific on, on the regulations coming down. A lot of these regulations, we haven't, you know, they're not very clearly defined yet. There's a lot of work happening, as I said, on nature restoration. You're talking about a 7% increase, or sorry, 7% of total land area could be included in nature restoration. You know, there's that, that's going to be another challenge of a different type. We'll have to watch the space to see what's coming then. It's a, it's a very movable place at the moment, believe you me, in the Commission. Yeah, look, Paul. Uh, it's clear that there's a lot of work done and, and lots more to do and trends are certainly improving which is good for us and I suppose we have to just keep putting our shoulders to the wheel to try and reduce that more and more over the years and um, just really like to thank you for your time today Paul for joining us on the show Look it was a pleasure and um, take home message Carl just when you're doing stuff on your farm just make sure you're, you're doing it with the knowledge that you could potentially um, do damage but you could also threaten the ability for us to be able to maintain licenses for that chemical going forward as well. So just that, that's the take-home message. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Paul O'Brien, Chair of the IFA Environmental and Rural Affairs Committee, for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Georgette Len. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.